Hello and welcome to episode 62 of the Frio Bigfooty podcast. We welcome back uh, Seppo this week as we go back and have a look at the Fremantle Dockers game versus the Collingwood Magpies, which seems eons ago, but being last Thursday night, and look forward to the upcoming clash against the Brisbane Lions. We'll also have a quick look at the Matthew Pavlich testimonial as well as the, the highlights and good best players from the Peel Thunder game. Welcome back, Sebo, this week. Good to hear from you, mate. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a long time, and even with the bye thrown in with the Thursday night game last week, it's a long stretch between games, and yeah, we've got to wait all the way till Sunday, the very last game, to uh, see our guys go around again. But it's uh, yeah, been quite a while since we uh, played a game Thursday night last week against Collingwood. Yeah, so last week Fremantle ended up getting over the line, twelve goals, eight eighty to eleven goals, seven seventy three. And uh, Fremantle really didn't lead in any change until the most important one, which was the last change. And uh, getting over the line, being at the game, Seppo, was once it was a very uh, dewy affair, and obviously the sort of wet conditions continued, and Fremantle once again seemed to struggle with those conditions after last year showing really pretty good adeptness in the wet. They really struggled with it this year. Yeah, it just seems to be a different game plan or style or a couple of positional things that's just not making us work and kick goals in the wet and I don't know if it's the um the people out there or the way they're moving. I know a lot's been alluded to this week about our forward structure and movement and how Pav's dropping form is uh not getting that mix right up forward but it's uh it's good to at least to see this week that we kick more goals in behind because I think with this wet weather and some of those shocking misses up on the Gold Coast the uh just before the buy, that you just hope that the guys start to hit the scoreboard often. And, and thank God for Walters with his opportunistic kicks for goal and his lethal left boot, because I think without him, that would have been a, yeah, a scary prospect that game. But um, good to see that there's still room improvement for guys like Ballas and, and Pav and even Maine to sort of step up as forwards. And you never know what the final changes are this week, but it'll be good to see some other guys come back and really stamp themselves on the forward line. Yeah, it was interesting to, as you said, mention with Walters and, None of the key forwards, Cloak didn't kick a goal for Collingwood either, and Jesse White had a chance, but obviously shanked that last in the last minute or two. But none of the real key forwards stood up, and I think uh, Fremantle gave Hanneth a couple of weeks as an experiment, but I just don't think it was work. I don't think it's worked too well, and obviously I'd be very surprised. I think he's already been omitted for this week, which is not really a surprise. So it's just a matter of whether they bring in Tabernacle or Clark, but they definitely need um, a more traditional forward down there, uh, and it probably, in fairness to Hannah, the conditions didn't suit him in any of the games we played, but if sometimes you just got to take those opportunities when they turn up, and unfortunately for him, he, the conditions and that sort of thing didn't suit, so he'll have to go back to Peel and bide his time once again. Uh, any sort of standout plays for you in the game? Uh, it was interesting even just reviewing the um, coaches' votes of them, because I thought Fife had a once a good, pretty good game, you know, racking up 32 touches, but he didn't. He just had to seem a bit quiet in the first quarter. I think um, young Crisp got a hold of him early on, but then he just went nuts from then on end and helped with two goals on the scoreboard and put up a good couple of marks again and, and good work in the midfield. But it's just interesting how uh, I think Hill almost sat out for me as, as best on ground, even though I think Fife got the eight coaches' votes. I think I watched... You know, bits of highlights and snapshots again of game where he'll actually moved around the ground and that just that little move to half back and took a good couple of saving marks and cooked two cooked two goals himself actually I think yeah he's um kicked two and that's what we want to see from Hill that you know a lot of our goals have been coming from the midfield this year and I know Fife and Hill have been uh, two um, and Neil as well that have been constantly getting on the scoreboard every game so 
it's uh, good to see that those guys are um, helping out in our midfield because I think that combination of Sandlands with Neil Hill and Fife and I suppose Mundy at the uh, feet as well um, is just uh, part of the reason why we're now sitting at uh, you know, the position where we are on the ladder. Yeah, I, I mean, I probably think Hill's been down the previous couple of weeks before that. He certainly hasn't been anywhere near his best, but good to see him bounce back last week. And he's probably adapting to that new role, playing a little bit more down back. And uh, I thought he, as you said, Seppo probably was close to best on ground, which was terrific performance. I thought Ibbotson once again showed his uh, class and he must be pushing close to all Australian form this year. His ability to intercept Mark and even with uh, Johnson going down, now playing that sort of, I know he's still playing the third role, but he's, third tall sort of role, but he's certainly helping out Pierce along with McFarlane there. And, uh, you know, if anyone along with Fife might be a chance of getting that All-Australian Guernsey this year, you'd have to think Ibbotson would be up there. Yeah, I think Ibbotson are probably competing with other good guys. I'll probably Rory Laird from Adelaide and Easton Wood from the Bulldogs that have probably had similar, you know, fantastic years. But even just looking at these numbers from the game, he had nine marks and I imagine a couple of those were intercepts. I just remember a couple where Collingwood just pushing the ball forward and he just sort of slipped in front or just made it out and popped up with, a, you know, five rebound 50s and six one percenters as well. So Ibo's starting to uh, step up as one of our more consistent backmen this year and I've been loving it in my supercoach scores. He's been starting to get some big numbers now. So it's good to see that with Johnson out there, well, at least we've got one of those more senior guys because we're not leaving it all to McFarlane anymore and you think there'll be time that he's going to get rested that, you know, we've got someone else that stands up there. And I know Spur did a pretty good job on Elliot down there as well. I think he was matched up for most of the time. I know some people probably get confused with Sutcliffe and, and Spur playing on Elliot, but I think Spur was the one that probably gets the cookies for the good job he did. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting. Sutcliffe has been one of those guys who's been uh, sort of a pretty heavy favourite to be dropped this week. And as you know, Seth, I'm a pretty big fan of him. But, I mean, defensively he's been pretty strong, but he's... You'd, be, you'd have to be a little bit concerned about his disposal, coming, particularly last week. It's only his disposal efficiency that's really killing him because defensively, like I said, he's been good, but you just look over his last three games, the amount of time he's had a, a clanger kick or just go to uh, spear the ball and it sort of wound sideways or just ended up in the lap of the opposition is just a bit annoying because you look back on his 2014 year um, and he was just running out of the midfield and involved in so many scoring chains where it would come out to him and he'd get the rebound, but he's kind of doing those same things again, but just the ball's not landing in our, our hands and continuing on the field. So it's a bit unfortunately for him, but he's obviously getting a game because he must be doing some other things right and probably just needs to work on it because it's certainly not the best he's been. And there's a lot of guys that are probably aren't in career best form this year, which would be a interesting to sort of view the whole list and actually work out who is actually in career best form because, you know, Suckler's not one of them. He definitely had a better last year and he's just a bit behind with his um, efficiency. Yeah, one of the interesting talks, and I think uh, I think it was D-Man 11 brought it up on the forum, Seppo, earlier before that, was talking about why the fact that Fremantle don't train at night, or at least practice in those conditions, because last three or four weeks, I think we've got nine night games this year, there's no reason why in this professional day and age they wouldn't at least consider doing a couple of night training sessions, even if it's just getting used to running with the ball and that sort of stuff. And the lights are sufficient down at Freo, because the Waffle guys train down there, don't well, they? So. And they play waffle games there on a Friday night, so yeah, they actually so play it's... proper footy there, so it's not like they can't train in those conditions on a Friday night, or, you know, I'm not saying Friday night, but at least one of the nights. The other interesting point that 
Ross Lyon brought up, Seth, I think they're going to be back to Sutcliffe, and I'm not sure whether it has any impact whatsoever. But obviously there was a lot of talk about the boots and the use yeah. of boots and the fact that a lot of our guys are still using moulded shoes as opposed to the screw-ins. And it's interesting that in the last couple of weeks where Ross Lyon particularly mentioned Sutcliffe being one of those players who went from the moulded to the screw-ins, and it just, whether it's a pure coincidence whether his disposal efficiency has suffered because of that or whether mm. it's just, um, as I said, and with Sutcliffe, it's probably just unfortunate that most of his clanger kicks, unfortunately, have been to players who have been in a really attacking position for Collingwood, and we've been sort of exposed the other way. So, yeah, I suppose you don't look at it as a, a half forward that's kicked into the forward fifty that comes out, rather than a rebound fifty that just sails straight over your head for you know, a score. It's it's a bit different, more pressure on those kicks. But it is interesting about the footwear and two sides to the argument. Obviously, I think Ross was sort of congratulating Sutcliffe for making the change to that. But, but then there's theories to say that, you know, is um, with the uh, screw-ins, you've actually got less sort of surface area contact with the, the ground and you don't actually get a good footing like you would with a moulded. So it's a interesting theory. I'm not sure if it, uh, there's much actually science put into it and experimenting with one pair and the other. And I don't know if players these days probably look at the conditions and even make the call on how good they can adjust from, you know, wearing moulds to screw-ins mid-quarter or match or be interesting to see what actually goes into it. And uh, I wonder if the um, the club does do a bit of review and hopefully we just stop getting wet games. I know it's uh, we've got over the worst of winter at the moment, but <laughs> I know we're probably looking at a bit weather, weather this week against the Lions on Sunday. I think it's partly cloudy and 20, but let's just hope that the uh, these wet conditions, and it's been week on week, you know, going back to that Adelaide game and then the Collingwood game and the Richmond game, that was dewy as well. And, and this one here was, I don't think there was any rain at the ground from memory but it definitely was a bit slippery no it was definitely very wet and we went out on the ground after the game and uh it was like it had been raining an hour before the game or you know half an hour before yeah. you know and you sort of get that film of water left on the ground and having a kick after the game it was sort of like very very slippery what did you think of the uh this i mean it was a very scrappy game you know even going back watching the replay step it was a it was certainly a game that didn't i mean you can't fault the intensity or the hardness or anything like that but it certainly wasn't a game that reached any great height skill-wise. Uh, what did you think of uh, Ryan, Ross Lyon's decision to pull the trigger earlier with uh, Hayden, Hayden Crozier getting the subs vest probably five minutes into the third quarter? I thought it was quite odd. And even though Ross explained in the uh, post-match press conference to say they wanted to move um, DeBoer forward and get Subin into the middle, I can't understand why it needed to be Crozier that um, came off, which I thought, yeah, you, you sort of justified why you pulled the pin on Crozier. But... Why not someone else if you want to make that same move and and get you know Dubois forward and you know, Dubois had a pretty good name numbers wise but I know Subin had good four tackles when he came on six touches and uh, did what he did and I remember some of the kicks even though he had five of them I just remember looking at them with a good fifty six meter length on them going oh that's why Subin's come on he's he's pushing the ball forward when it's wet and it's probably what we needed at the start and I think Crozier had some good early marks on a couple of contested possessions but. Yeah, it's an odd decision. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Hanneth is the one that could have come off, but uh, you never know. Yeah, the other uh, interest... I mean, it was good to see Lockie Neal uh, once again have a strong game with 34 touches and, you know, particularly the number of clearances he had in close. And I think it was like Fremantle used Nathan Fife a little bit more for, but it seemed they like definitely you could notice a concerted difference there, Seppo, in the way that they used their Sandlands hit out. So... They seem to be using a bit more variety in terms of their hit zones, and they weren't going directly to 
necessarily to Fife or Mundy. They were sort of trying to rotate them through a little bit, and even De Ball was in there at times and just using his sort of uh, burrowing skills to try and get the ball out to outside runners. So it was interesting to see that uh, they talked a lot about it before the game, that the fact that in the, in the break that they were going to try and work on clearances and getting the advantages that Sandilands had. And I think that the clearances did seem... And it seems that as the game goes longer, we sort of definitely get more advantage of that, particularly like we had that in the Adelaide game and then also in the goal case and even the game on the weekend. Yeah, I suppose when you've got... You know, Lockie Neal picking up 14 clearances and Mundy clicking up 12 and five as well. They they are dominating and, and Sandy got 50 hit outs. So that's a lot of ball going down to a lot of those guys, but it's just the way they're, they're done. And Leicester, I think, was actually picked off by Collingwood there on, on ball brigade. But it's quite interesting to see how much time Pendlebury spent off the field. I think he, um, he only had 80% sort of time on ground, but there was a lot of mention and some people were saying that you know he, he must be carrying something or spending ridiculous amounts of time off the field that he didn't really act as damaging as, as a player as class as Penderbury has in the past. Well, it was interesting that he had 11 touches in the first quarter and then Ross Lyon decided to bite the bullet and um, use DeBoer in that tagging role. And we hadn't really used a lot probably since the Port game earlier in the year where I think Clancy Pierce had the job on Boak. And... I think he managed to keep Pendlebury to one touch in the second quarter. So, And it really sort of kept us probably in the game because Pendlebury was certainly very damaging in that first quarter. And yet you had other guys as well, like probably Taylor Adams and Swan. I mean, I was watching the game and they didn't seem to be, even though they had a lot of touches, didn't seem to be getting a lot of the ball in dangerous spots, you know. Mm. Uh, but, you know, Frio definitely, I mean, compared to the first part of the year, is certainly nowhere near as on the same thing. But and saying that as well, Seppo, I don't think it was feasible or even possible for Fremantle to keep that same intensity for the entire season. I mean, 22 rounds plus finals, I don't think it's mentally or physically possible to keep up that sort of style or that intensity that they showed in the first eight weeks. And obviously going through a bit of a down patch at the moment, but the fact is you're still winning three out of four games. We've now, through the last week's results, got a two-game lead again at the top of the ladder. I mean, you know, you can't ask for much more really come the start of the year. Yeah, it's a lot of uh, people that just can't be pleased no matter what the result is. And obviously we're just happy to bank four points in the moment and not pick up any major injuries. But you've just got to be happy that there's so much improvement still. I don't think there's too much more improvement you can get out of our midfield other than a bit of variety from Sandalands hitouts that we're kind of doing already. But it's probably just our forward line that needs to be cleaned up and a bit of uh, selection problems down back with those key tools that might be fixed once Silvani and Dawson come back to a back line and then we'll probably have headaches there but at the moment it's probably just our forward line that's the um, biggest glaring weakness before um, we sort of hit September that we've just got to get sorted out. I think it's definitely uh, I definitely agree with most of that Seb. I do think our midfield however our delivery inside 50 has um, been an issue Uh, and I think you'll notice probably on, particularly on the game on the weekend, like early in the season, Fremantle were getting able to through good ball movement, and that might have been conditions as well. But they were able to get the ball back through the corridor, and we had, like we had both sides of the ground to use. Where you notice now, teams are really packing that corridor in, yeah. and and stopping our ball movement. So we're actually keeping us wider on the wings, and not giving us as many options to bring that ball inside. And it definitely hasn't helped our forward line production being denied the corridor. And I think Fremantle have to sometimes take a bit more risk through there. And yeah. I know it's easy sometimes when the 
results are close and going back into old habits, particularly, you know, when you're trying to get that win, that I think Ross Lyon probably needs to give them a little bit more risk through there. And that and that's probably been heard a bit by the fact that Sutcliffe is not utilising the ball as well, and that's probably why Lyon's trying to get Hill back down there and utilising that as a bit more. And you hopefully see Sheridan or someone else come up to the wing and be able to take that spot Hill was using in the midfield. Well, there was only one moment, I think, through the game where Sheridan probably showed a bit of that deer and came through the midfield and put that um, ball to Ballas, I think, that um, was probably that direct run through the guts, almost like that Sheridan or Ballas sort of goal of the year nomination a couple of rounds back then with um, sort of that rebound 50 and straight through the guts. We, I think now, in those first few games of the season where we're kicking really well, players were instinctively, without even looking, aiming to kick to the top of the square about 20 out where they knew someone would be there. Now they're sort of trained to go there, but you know, it's, it's Pav leading up there with another Ford or Hanneth or Clark or Tabano, whoever's in their way, and the, the people on the opposition are sort of filling that hole and we're still kicking to that spot without sort of looking up and making that other decision. So it's like it's drained, you know, drummed into them to go to that spot, do the uh, disciplined thing, but they're not, like you say, looking up or mixing it up and, and looking out of the places for fear of uh, you know going against what's probably instructed of them. So be interesting to see what they do with their forward entries and, and how we help Pav out, get back to form. Yeah, and that's where I think Tabana losing the fact that we haven't had Tabana in the last few weeks, regardless of whether he's kicking goals, the fact that he can push up into the wing, give us an outlet there, and then he was sort of able to either link up with the midfield or bring the ball back in the corridor, and we just seem to have lost that. And I think that's something that Lyon and the coaching staff will probably need to try and see if we can get those guys back into... Utilising that corridor a little bit more, and even if it's a case of taking a few more risks at times, and hopefully this week against Brisbane, they will be able to sort of try and uh, you know take a bit more uh, risk with those kicks inside. Uh, particularly if it's dry at the moment, it's a little bit wet outside Seppo, so we're hoping that it does dry up a little bit um, before the game. But we'll see what happens. Any other points you want to bring up before we move on, mate? Uh, no, other than the fact that I uh, think that Fife might be up to uh, another couple of uh, Brownlow votes then, probably pushing 25, 26 in total at the moment. And he's um, getting on the same ground as last year and almost the numbers that Prittis won it. So I think if you can keep in the umpire's eyes and stay out of the uh, MRP's eyes, who seem to be doing some weird and wonderful things at the moment um, with, with other people in red and white, that, uh, yeah, I think he's, um, he's on his way to uh, another good, good chance. Yeah, for sure. All right, moving on, Seppo. During the week, obviously, with the game after the Thursday night, there was Pav had his uh, testimonial and there was 1,000 people at the Crown Casino and by all accounts was a terrific night for the club. It's always um, a bit strange having a testimonial, I suppose, when you don't know that if the guy's going to retire or not come the end of the year. And, uh, I mean, I personally, you know, I think, it, I think if there's any player that deserves a testimonial, it's certainly Pav. Like just also, I don't think he's been 100% fit either probably the last three to four weeks, which you know just doesn't seem to be carrying himself quite as well. Um, so it'd be interesting having another 10-day break, whether he does come out firing this week. But fully, fully deserved uh, testimonial and uh, definitely the uh, best player we've ever had at our club and go, will go down as an all-time legend. Mm. So it's good to see that little video that they put together of everyone tipping their hat and a lot of the celebrities and, and people around town just uh, honouring the great man. Absolutely. All right, and also Peel Thunder continued on with their merry way, having a 17-goal 16-118 to 8-goals 8-56 against the bottom side Perth, and 
It was a little bit, a uh, bit of a scrappy game early, but uh, Peel uh, sort of broke it open in the third quarter. And another couple of standout performances with Taverner kicking four goals, so it was good to see him get back in there. And uh, even though the stats say four goals, another five goals for Duffy. And uh, we'll look at the ins and outs later, ins and outs shortly, Seppo, but I thought Duffy might have uh, had a sort of, maybe had a chance to push, push into the squad, particularly with, I know Bale's pressure's been up, but he hasn't been kicking goals or anywhere, been anywhere near his best in terms of goal kicking. So I thought they might have at least given Duffy maybe a bit of an extended squad action this week. Yeah, I think Duffy's caused a bit of a discussion on the board with guys looking for that small forward. Obviously, with those guys out of form, it's, it's something probably we need, but it may not come in the form of Duffy. It may just be Ballantyne returning to form, but certainly if Duffy keeps on putting those type of numbers up, that... You know, with um, I know people say he does the the most brilliant of things and the most stupid of things in the same passage of play, Duffy. But I think if he can iron that out and have consistent numbers like this, he'll probably earn a spot back up there. And it was just good to see that you know last year when we he was called up for that Geelong game that he he showed that he can play. So at least if he does get a chance, um, he'll be good to go. But it's good to see some other guys like you know Brady Gray have good consistent numbers all year and. And guys even like Bootsma and, and Nugel who aren't on the list actually put some good numbers in to help Peel get their wins they have this season. Yeah, Bootsman's going to be an interesting one. Where I know there's a you know you speak to a few people and they're uh, you know whether he might get a chance on the rookie list or have another crack at AFL. Uh, What's his height these days? Is he almost not? He's not key position height, isn't he? He's almost that third tall height. Yeah, he's probably not enough. third tall height. Uh, I think. He's 193, so he could probably just about play key position if he was bulked up a little bit more. He's probably still a little bit too slim for that, so he'd probably be playing that third third role. Um, but it was good to see Mazungu once again push um, his case for a recall, Seppo, and a lot of players might have dropped their heads or not getting games, but he's continually going out doing what's asked of him. Blakely and Weller once again showing their good form for the first-year players. But probably the biggest, uh, I suppose, Player that's come on this year would be Moller, and he's going to probably make it a bit more interesting come for this match committee at come the end of the year with uh, starting to show a little bit more up forward. I know he didn't take a lot last week, but he's definitely improved. He's hit the scoreboard a couple of weeks in the row, and he's even starting to do well on the ruck and actually show that he's not a, a skinny frame. I know he still has to work on it more, but he's actually doing a pretty good job of, of running in there. And it's, he's putting forward a good case if he keep, keeps it out. Actually, um, you know, three years on the rookie list, we've got to make a move on him, either delist and re-rookie or promote him. And, and at this stage he's going, it might even be worth promotion, even though if Sam Lanzi's already re-signed and going around next year, it's probably yeah. wouldn't hurt having, especially if he adds that forward string to the bow, something we've been dying for. And with Apnes news today that he's um, having the rest of the year off, um, and looks to be some type of a PCL injury that doesn't need surgery, but you never know when a player like Craig Muller could be used. So it's good to see that he's putting in good numbers and being consistent as well after many at the start of the season probably didn't think too much he was uh, up for the chop, but I certainly am a big fan of him, and he's he's getting there. Yeah, and the, probably the, select, the team structure last week didn't probably suit him either, having Griffin and Clark in there playing ruck, and then you've also got Tabner in the forward line. So... Probably a little bit too tall last week uh, for Peel, but I think he's definitely showing a little bit. Uh, I was a bit surprised, and sort of moving into that uh, ins and outs this week, Seppo, I was probably a little bit surprised Duffield got the call up. Haven't been really overly impressed, I must say, with his form this year, uh, certainly compared to last year. And I know you talked about some guys who hadn't sort of progressed or maintained that level, and I didn't think he'd really probably shown enough either at 
heel, to be honest. Uh, but he's he may been... not get a game though because it's an extended interchange and um, mm. I suppose bench, and he's listed last on and the way the AFL name the sides. And obviously, I don't know if it's the way that Fremantle submitted, but he's named last. So we've got to drop three from the the side that's named. So Duffield isn't in, but. Maybe he's just saying, look, you're closed up here, but you need to do a bit more. So, Yeah, and going back into our ins and outs this week, Seppo, so obviously Zach Clark, Mazungu, Tabiner and Duffield in, and I think those, certainly the first three, uh, deserve their recall after their performances over the probably the last couple of weeks. I think Zach Clark's gone back and really uh, shown a bit of appeal, and hopefully he'll be able to take some of that confidence into the uh, uh, game against Brisbane, because even though he hasn't been playing sensationally well the last couple of weeks before he did get dropped, he's still in the top 10 or 11 marks in the AFL for contested marks. So, and, you know, just gives you that little bit of an outlet as well at times. And I think we've missed that, even in the conditions the last few weeks. And uh, hopefully he'll be able to sort of get back to the form he was showing earlier in the year. And Jack Hannath being omitted. And for Brisbane, number of changes there with Ryan Lester, Brent Staker, Darcy Gardner, Sam Mays, Mitch Golby and Zach O'Brien in. And Stefan Martin, Ryan Harwood and Pierce Hanley out. So quite a few changes there for the Brisbane Lions. And two big ones with Martin's suspension for his two weeks with that little knock and Pierce Hanley with the hamstring, which is a real shame because he's only just got back two games in and out he goes. And Hanley's probably one of, you know, probably behind Rockliffe at the moment, the one of their best players, and they are missing Rockliffe as well. That was, I was saying, was close to coming back. So, you know, they they are quite weak in this Brisbane side, and already a couple on the injury list. But there are some names out there. There's a bit of talent. You know, young Lewis Taylor and Josh Green, quick small forwards with Christensen as well. They do have beams in there. Um, Lewenberger, good ruck, and and Zorko and Rich. You know, when in form, can be pretty damaging. But they have obviously missed some. Uh, Big games with um, Martin and Hanley coming out of that side. I don't know much about Harwood himself, but it's um, certainly looking at their back line. It's um, a good good opportunity for our forward line to um, really put some pressure on, depending who the uh, final changes are. Yeah, their midfield definitely looks, like, as you said, quite pacey, but they are going to lack size. So Fremantle should be able to move the ball or certainly get one-on-one contests that suit them. Uh, and their back line does look, uh, I think, you know, Jed Adcock's obviously been around for quite a while, but if you look at the rest of the guys down there, you've got Harris, Andrews and Clark. Uh, Paparone has always played as a forward at East Fremantle, even when he was a Colt there. So he's, I mean, whether he lines up there or not, it's a different story, but you've got James Aish. And, so they've got some good players down there, as you said, Sebo, but they're probably a couple of years off and, you know, they, they're going to struggle this week, you'd have to think, against... Mm. Uh, Fremantle at home, but we said that a couple of weeks ago against the Gold Coast too when they had a number of injuries and we only just snuck over the line then. Mm. Well, the interesting thing is, what, what do you do with the final changes? Because at the moment, Duffield's probably the only obvious one that might not make the cut and then it's probably down to some guys like Subin and Crozier, either one of the sub-on or sub-off players from last week. And the way they're named, you, you just hope Taberner gets a game for structure, but he might come out if they think that Clark getting added into the side's enough for our... Forward line, but I'd love to see Tabiner and Pav there together. Um, I don't know if anyone on the, the named on the field, you know, guys like Maine or or Ballas are a chance to drop out. But um, it will be interesting to see if we do go with the two tools of Tabiner and Clark in for Hannah, and it may get down to you know some weather again. But 
Um, I'd certainly, I wouldn't be too surprised if they did go in without Duffield, Tabs, and maybe one of Subin or Crozier. Yeah, I think I think you have to. I think we know now that, especially with Atmos out, that Tabner is going to be our only option, really, as that tall forward. So I think you have to play him. You've got to work out. You've got to work out how you're going to work him with Pav. But there's no. You can't sort of just keep moving him in and out. You've, you know, he's what we've got. Extended run. Yeah, I mean, the only other option you've got is later on down the year whether Alex Pierce could play as a as a forward. And I know there's been a bit of talk on the board whether he could come down and play in the forward role, but he doesn't seem as the sort of player who um, I think he gets. I think he's a player who sort of suits being drawn to the ball rather than having to go the other way, you know, where he's the one creating it. I think you've got to play Tabiner in there. Uh, and, you know, Zach Clark's been named in the in the side, so he's definitely going to be playing because he's listed in the 22. And I think he has to come back as well. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how uh, they go. And as you said, out of those lists, you'd have to think Duffield would struggle to get back in this week. And then realistically, as you said, I think those choices that you made... The ball, I thought, played pretty well last week, but the conditions certainly suited him. Um, and I don't, to be honest with you, it's one of those tough ones where I think, I mean, what do you think if you have to go between De Boer and I think Mzungu offers a little bit more? Um, yeah. But So if you're going to go head-to-head, I mean, I personally would think that Mzungu would be a better option for us than De Boer um, because Mzungu can at least go back and play a bit of defence if he needs to. He's got ability to tag as well as De Boer has. He's probably a little bit better user, and he can also take marks up forward as well. Yeah. So out of those interchange names that applied of DeBoer, Crozier, Subin, Sutcliffe, Mzungu, Tabner and Duffield, would you say that it'd be the likes of Duffield, probably Crozier and DeBoer to miss out, or Crozier and Subin? I think they might try and maybe run Subin. I wouldn't be surprised if they try and run Subin at Subiaco because he's playing the bye last week. You've either got to play him or you don't. I, I don't think having a couple of weeks in a row in the bye sort of helps, uh, you know, Sutcliffe would have to be on the edge, of, but I think the fact that um, Brisbane have so many small forwards, I can't see Sutcliffe being dropped this week. Especially when you've got guys like Lewis Taylor and got Lewis Taylor. Green and Christensen, they can be quite damaging. Yeah, I, you have to, and Zorko even to a degree, so you'd have to play, I mean, you'd have to play Sutcliffe in that role, so you'd have to think he would be in for sure. It's going to be. A t- I mean, it's a nice decision to, problem to have, that's for sure, Seppo. But uh, yeah, normally you sort of look at the bench and then you say, well, there's two or three guys that stand out, like Lockie Neal used to be on there or Barlow, and you know those guys are going to play. Where at the moment you'd have to think that the, I think the probably the guys that are, the 18 that are named would definitely be first 18, and then the other ones, as you said, are probably fighting for that. Last three or four spots. Mm. And either way you look at it, no, no matter what it happens for structure or form, you've got to be happy with, with those guys that are named to playing. It's not like we're uh, bringing in absolute spuds that, uh, you know, you might be clogging some other lists in the AFL that these guys all have proven, you know, they've got many games under their belt and all for, you could probably justify a reason for any one of those guys to play, be it, you know, weather or matchups or structure or experiences. So much each of those players bring to the table, but... Um, thank God they're all there and available. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, and you know, there's always a bit of a debate whether those guys are probably best 20, you know. So, you know, there's always a bit of talk about Sheridan. Um, some people either love him or hate him. Um, you know, I'm certainly a firm believer that he can um, still take us to the, like, he's still got a lot of improvement left in his game um, yeah. and can do us something. 
and, and gives us a little bit of flexibility in there, especially the outside run, you know. And I think if he can stand up, you know, and we can use Hill in that halfback flank role, then, you, you know, utilising his um, kicking skills out of um, defence will certainly help us in that regard. Um, but the I think Sheridan thing- actually looked good, and even when he was running up the wing and linking up play, and I know a lot of people are critical of Sheridan. I'm sort of a fan of what he does for what he's um, obviously there for, because I reckon a lot of people are saying that yeah, Sheridan needs to go win his own ball, but I think you know he's he's designed to be on the outside and he doesn't need to get huge numbers. I know he'll probably get criticised for the same thing when he was a lot younger, but he was decided to be on the outside for that run, and it's not Sheridan's job to go get the ball. He probably needs to go in a bit harder like Duffield was early, because I think Ross has even mentioned that Sheridan sort of groomed for that Duffield replacement, but he's just got to get a bit harder at it when the um, ball's there to be won, um, if he does have a job down half-back. But at the moment, the wing can suit him fine, so I'm happy with him there. And wouldn't begrudge if, you know, some of these changes, he was the one that's dropped. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm quite a fan of his and, and happy that he's in there and on the wing. Yeah, I, and it's one of those, uh, you know, I don't think you can have, every, as you said, so, but you can't have everyone going in after the ball. You need to have someone to kick it head out to. And, you know, Daniel Pierce, like even last week, I know he got caught holding the ball, but there was actually no one to kick the ball to, you know, yeah. and he's only making space. So, uh, and unfortunately, he doesn't have a right foot. So, you know, it does make it harder to try and, uh, you know, teams know how to corral him and that sort of thing. But you do need those guys on the outside. And even you look at teams like the Hawks, Brad Hill and Isaac Smith, that's their job. They play outside and they do it well and they're not required to get inside, you know, but you've got to make it, make it count. And I think you probably probably does need to still step up and be a little bit more, probably push those possessions from 13 to 16 as you're getting now to try and get up closer to 20. And I think if you could do that, and particularly if you can be a bit more damaging inside 50, if he gets a bit more time up the ground, I think he can, because he can certainly use the ball well. And uh, he would add another string to our bow for sure if he could do that. Any other sort of Brisbane Lions? I mean, obviously, as you said, Stefan Martin's a big loss this week under suspension. So Lee's Lewenberger doing the majority of the rucking. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm quite a fan of Lewenberger, but unfortunately he's been sort of hit with injury over the last few years. Uh, I mean, is there any other sort of standout matchups that like, you're looking forward to in this one, Seppo? Um, yeah, it's probably hard other than the, the midfield matchups, like I mentioned before, with guys like Dane Beams, Rich, and um, the other guys, Redden, playing in there amongst our uh, A-grade midfielders. It's going to be interesting to see how much we can actually win the ball because I think, um, reading some of those pre-game stats, that the Lions are rated as one of the worst teams for contested, contested possessions this year and we're um, is one of the uh, the best. So it's it's interesting just to see how they go because I don't think there's too many obvious sort of real matchups, and it's it's not like they're sort of at full strength. So... Um, a couple of matchups that do sort of not worry me, but players that can get off the chain at all, we're saying to her, so the guys like Christensen, Louis Taylor, Josh Green, and uh, even Mitch Robinson, you never know. It's those average players that always seem to step up and, and have a good game. That's where my focus is probably going to be looking around how we can curtail the influence of, of those guys, and you know, the work's going to be cut out for guys like Spur and Ibbotson and, and Sutcliffe down back. Yeah, and... It- and I think it's going to be you know, a chance, obviously, for Fremantle to try and get some of that form back and obviously try and push the percentage up, you know, even though we are two games clear. And there's that Port Sydney game tonight, which will be crucial realistically in terms of, you know, if Port get up tonight and we win on the weekend, it does give us a little bit more breathing space against Sydney. 
um, in terms of getting one of those top two spots. So playing last on th- Sunday, you'll sort of get a bit of a lay of the land where everyone else is as well in the pecking order. So, And with as you sort of talked about before, Seppo, there's so many guys hanging to get back in and getting a game that no one can really afford to sort of take their foot off the pedal at all, really. Yeah, and, and the guys that you do want to take the foot off the pedal and... And, and take it easy as guys like McFarlane. Unfortunately, there's no one there waiting in the wings to you know push him out of the side or even just give him a rest. So, as guys, we've got to take care for, make sure that you know Alex Pierce is getting good experience and, and learning from Ibo and McFarlane down back. And you know, while we're waiting for these other guys to be, get back, let's just hope that no silly line player goes out there, no stakers out there, and he's capable of taking people out. Um, but let's just hope that you know McFarlane. Gets through the game unsaved, and hopefully we're in a position that we can uh, maybe even afford. You know, if no one's having a shocker or no other injuries, that we can you know pull the pin, give McFarlane the red vest in that last quarter, and and hope he's okay. So, what what I'm hoping for is um obviously with good weather, uh, a score to hit over the hundred again because it's probably been a while since we've been kicking over hundred. And if I uh, consult the squiggle by uh, Max Barry, one of those big footy special, uh, lovely forecasting tool. We uh, should be beating Brisbane line based on our offensive rating versus their defensive by 107 to 47. So um, if we're going to do our tips, so I'd be happy with a, a 50, 50 point win and currently and keeping Brisbane to ultimate low scores. And I think a couple of years ago we had them to record low inside 50s. If we can do that again, let's hope we can uh, give our percentage a bit of a boost up and, and, and get a big score over 100 and show that we've actually got a functioning forward line. I think they only had like 15 inside 50s last week or <laughs> last season or something bizarre like that. So definitely, uh, ideally for us, it will be a uh, percentage booster and we'll get back to, more importantly, playing that sort of football that we want to see from our side. All right, any other points you want to bring up before we finish it up this week, Seppo? No, other than the fact that I'll probably just mention in that uh, um, a big, big thanks to all those guys that are... Uh, he showed a hospitality towards Gill in, in WA while he was there, and I get the opportunity to hang out with him on Saturday and um, going down to watch a VFL game with him to view some Americans in there. It's uh, good to finally uh, see the man again after his last trip out to Australia for that final. So let's hope it's um, a good one this weekend. I'll be going down the pub, and I'm not sure if he's hanging around for it, but it'll be uh, good to watch the game here and in Melbourne, and let's hope we get the win on Sunday. Yeah, and what's your tip for this week, mate? Um, I'm just going straight off the squiggle and say we're going to win by 50 points exactly. Right. I think we've got. I think we've got a bit of a point to prove, and certainly after being, you know, all the talk this week about not being a premiership chance anymore and this sort of stuff, garbage. I will go. I'll go 63 this week, and hopefully we'll. Uh, and I think Pab will come out firing, and I think he'll uh, kick four for this week. So let's oh, see. Perfect. Love let's to see. Here we that. go. All right, thanks again for joining us this week, Seppo. I'll give you a chance to go back and watch the Sydney Port game. It's just about a quarter time. Lovely. uh, And we'll uh, speak to you next week, hopefully celebrating another victory and uh, Fremantle obviously staying on top of the ladder for this week and extending their lead at the top of the ladder. All right, we'll catch you again next week and bye for now.